Teach me some melody 
Amen. Good evening. Welcome to Fellowship Mosaic. We're so incredibly glad that you're here to worship and encounter our Lord with us. And uh, hey, if you're new, if you're, if you're worshiping with us for the first time, we would love to get connected with you, uh, to get to know you more personally. There's a couple of ways you can do that. One, um, you can always go to our website, mosaicnwa.org slash I'm new and find out information there, or we would really enjoy to make a personal connection with you. So when service is over, there's, gonna, there's a little center circular booth out in the foyer. Come and say hi so we can start to get to know you and, and, uh, and help you connect to this family of Jesus followers. Here at Fellowship Mosaic, we're people who wanna grow together. We wanna grow together to know Jesus and to make Jesus known in Northwest Arkansas and the world and part of that is serving together. And one of the ways we wanna do that in particular, our, one of the deep values we have is that because every person is made in the image of God, every human being has value and dignity, and that extends all the way back to the unborn. That is a deep conviction of ours, that the unborn children have value and dignity in the image of God before God. And in the New Testament, John wrote to us and said, "Hey." Love in words only isn't enough. Words need to be followed by deeds. So having a theological statement that unborn children matter is not enough. We need to love with our deeds, and that's why we are so excited to partner with Loving Choices. It's a, a crisis pregnancy center here in Northwest Arkansas that is seeking to serve women in unexpected pregnancies through free and confidential services. And let me tell you, there are so many lives that are changed through this incredible ministry. So one of the ways we can get behind it in Booth C out in the foyer, there's a bunch of empty baby bottles. And so here's what we're gonna ask you to do. Take a bottle when you leave tonight and bring it back filled with money. Change, cash, a check, whatever you can do. And you can bring it back to service in the foyer here between now and October 10th. And I encourage you to do one more thing. If you'll join us in that and serving these mothers this way and these children this way, say a prayer over that baby bottle before you drop it off. Say a prayer specifically over the child and the mother that, that those funds are gonna help reach. It's a great way that we can put our belief about what's true and valuable to practice in our lives and in our money and our deeds. Hey, another thing that we are excited about here at Fellowship Mosaic is we just, God has been laying on our hearts to see a culture of prayer to see a culture of people who are seeking the Lord in everything we do. And we have just seen a member of our body really just be raised up to help cultivate that and lead us in that. And uh, his name is Tom Toomer. And I just want you to hear a little bit about his story on how that's happening in his life. My journey has been one of learning to recognize the voice of Jesus. How do I follow him? And how do I discern the voice of the enemy and flee from him? How do I know Jesus as deeply as, and as intimately as I can? How do I know the Father? How do I know the Spirit? And from that, help other people to learn that same thing. I began learning from a friend of mine that I could read the scriptures and I could listen and hear God's voice in those things that stood out to me. transition from collegiate ministry into working with people post-college. It started in the fact that I have no idea what they're going through and, and what do we even need to be trying to help them with. And so I titled it a learning community because I thought we need to learn together and I need to learn. And so I think it has morphed 
into how do we learn to listen to one another better and just listening and hearing people tell their stories. It's intriguing, how do we listen to one another, but how do we learn to listen to God together? In the early 90s and for about 10 to 15 years after that, God brought me into a community of people who birthed a movement of prayer that hit pockets of people all across the Navigator world. We would have four-day prayer retreats. And I remember leaving that first prayer retreat going, I have absolutely no idea what I just experienced, but I want more. There's nothing I would rather do than meet with a group of people to seek God and encounter Him together. What if we changed our view of prayer? What if prayer is gazing at God? What if we took an aspect of God's character and began to look at that from the scriptures? And how do you want me to respond? Well, about three months ago, in the midst of the leadership changes that were going on, Chip came to me and said, Tom, would you consider taking point in the prayer ministry? God, who do you want to play a part in this team? How do we develop the body in prayer? And how do we help our staff develop in prayer? And as I thought about that, I thought, that's what God wants. That's the heart of God, is it's not just a few people praying. How do we mobilize people to recognize that prayer is engaging with God to where we are drawn deeper and deeper into union, intimacy with Him, and from that, things begin to happen. It's crazy to see how God has begun to bring others into that picture, to take different pieces of, of that puzzle. I know that my piece is not the whole thing, but how can others get involved in that? And so what if that person begins to pray with somebody else? Tom has been a friend and mentor of mine for over 10 years now, and I've been really thankful for the role he's played in my life just to, to constantly be challenging me uh, in a pretty task-oriented world. Nick, are you stopping to be with your Lord? Are you stopping to enjoy him and to gaze at him? And so I've been really thankful that he's continuing to play that role in my life and, and really for our whole congregation. And so as, as Tom is kind of leading our prayer team here, um, we're still figuring out what that even looks like, but just a couple of practical questions. So Tom, first of all, like if, if I'm someone who is in need of prayer, if I'd like to have someone praying for me, what does that look like? What do I do? Yeah, thanks, Nick. Um, one of the things is we will begin to have people praying for, uh, um, be available to pray up in front. So if you want us to pray for you, um, there'll be people over here and over here. Um, but if you don't feel comfortable with that, in the back as you go out, there are prayer cards and you can just drop them in the box. And, and one of the things we would really ask you to do is when God answers, would you pick up one of those cards and put it in the, the box and just tell us how God has answered we want to celebrate because if God's going to birth a culture of prayer, which we feel like he wants to, um, we need to know and we need to celebrate what he's doing. Very cool. And Tom, you've also been leading us in, in really our, our team and our whole congregation in growing in prayer. What's the next step for us to start growing in prayer? Um, well, if, if somebody wants to grow in prayer, the website, you mm -hmm. can connect with um, and put it on the website. Just yeah. let us know, hey, we're interested. We, we want to grow in prayer. Or if you want to be a part of the prayer team, also put it on there if you would too. Yeah, so you can always just email mosaic at fellowshipnwa.org and that'll just connect you with our team and we'll let us know that you want to get involved and we'll, we'll make that connection happen. Okay. 
And the second thing is I'd like to lead us in, in just a time of prayer right now. And I don't know about where you come from, but what I'd like us to do now is just close your eyes. And I want us to take three deep breaths and just let them out. And just relax because God is here. He is Emmanuel. And just relax with him for a minute. And then I'm going to lead us in just a very simple prayer that what I'd like you to do is just say, Lord, I agree. Father, as we enter this time with you now, we pause to be still, to breathe slowly, and to recenter our scattered senses on you the God who is here, Emmanuel. And so what I'd like you to do right now is simply open your hands, if you're willing, and to receive from God, because God has things he wants to give us tonight. And so I'm just going to lead us. And so, Father, I receive from you the truth tonight. I receive the truth that you are here and that you want to engage with me and that you want to speak to me personally. And Lord, as best I can, I open my heart, I open my mind, I open my ears to hear from you. Would you help me to do that? And what do you need to release to God right now? Father, I release to you tension, anxiety, fears to you right now. I release to you the conversation that I had on the phone or on, in the way here in the car. Lord, I, I give myself to you tonight. Thank you, Father. Thank you for what you're going to do not only tonight, but in the days and months and years ahead to bring glory to yourself. Amen. sing this together. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, and I see the stars, and I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art! How great! 
shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart and then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim church, I'd like to give you a moment to confess that to him, to confess that you believe in this great God. That is a familiar, old, sung song, and often a song like that can just roll off the tongue, uh, maybe even void of meaning sometimes. So I want to give you a moment to consider what we just sang, the scripture we just read, to remember his greatness and also his goodness. Take a moment.
those hearts. Jesus, you're still enough. And keep me within your love. My heart will sing your praise again. Let's sing and remind ourselves his promises stand.
sing you give life you give life you are love and you bring light to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken and great are you lord sing this out it's your breath in our lungs so we pour with expectation.
Appreciation to the team for the great job leading us tonight. Great job. It was 1976, and we were in the semifinals of the state championship. And it came to the third quarter with seven minutes left, and we were behind 14 to nothing. And I said, Lord, please help us win this ball game. Please help us win this ball game, Lord. Now, I was 17 or 18 at the time, and I don't want you to make, make you think that I was some sort of spiritual teenager because I was a hypocrite, a big hypocrite. I might throw out a prayer once in a while, but then I live like, live like the devil. It took me a while to get my life straightened out. But I felt guilty later on. By the way, we won the game. We won the game and went on to win the state championship. Still got the ring, but it's too little to wear. I felt guilty later on for praying about a ball game. Know what I mean? Shouldn't have prayed about a ball game. But then I remembered he knows the numbers of hairs on our head. He cares about every aspect of our lives. And it wasn't the fact that I was praying for a ball game. But the right thing was that I thought to talk to him at all. Get it? The right thing was that I thought to talk to him at all. Do you pray? Is it a part of the rhythm of your life? Or is it something sporadic? Uh, Corey Ten Boom said it well, if you could throw that up there. She said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? That little lady with a bun on her head and combat boots, she, she had so many good quotes. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? In other words, does it guide your life? Or is prayer that you just pull off, something you just pull off the shelf in case of emergency? Lord, you know, I haven't talked to you in a while, but it's me. That's not really where he wants us to be. And you're going to see that in the book of 1 Timothy. Are we a people who seek the face of God or are most of our prayers just over the dinner table? Praying over the spaghetti. It's sad that Christians in America pray very little. I can just imagine God waiting, waiting 
for us to allow him into our lives, to be involved in the smallest of things, if we just would. We miss out on so much by not allowing him in. And the church in Ephesus had this problem as well. And that's why Paul is writing this little section to them to give some instruction on prayer. Of all of our responsibilities as believers in Christ, prayer is one of the most important. So we're going to talk about the priority of prayer. Our praise of God is powerless if our hearts are prayerless. All of the efforts for God and good are hindered if our prayers are infrequent and feeble. We need to pray. We need to talk to God on a regular basis. It's not an attempt to control God or, or get him to do our bidding. He's not a short order cook at the Waffle House. But we just send up our order and expect him to send it back. You see, in prayer, we don't change God, but God changes us. We don't change God, but God changes us. God draws us nearer to him. In relationship, in conversation, in perspective, and our relationship with him grows stronger in prayer, sincere, heartfelt prayer. Say, don't talk to me about that. I'm too busy. I got so much going on. I just can't squeeze it all in. We're reminded in prayer that he is God, that he is sovereign. And we need to remember that it's a privilege that we get to come into the presence of the creator of all the universe. I've had those moments in my life when... I prayed for something that seemed impossible, and I can give you a lot of illustrations of that, especially early in my Christian life, when, when I didn't really believe God could, but then he would. He would. And it was in those moments, and I still get chill bumps when I think about it. It's like God would lean down to me and say, I'm here. I'm listening. He wants to be involved with us and nothing is too big for him. Paul instructs Timothy in the verses we study this week that the church can be built up through the life of prayer in its people. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8, we're going to look closely at this and, and I'm going to give you some practical some practical steps toward being a prayer warrior. Wouldn't it be great to be known as a prayer warrior? That you are one who regularly prays and, and lifts things to God. We're going to talk about the necessity of prayer, the objects of prayer, the reasons for prayer, the basis for prayer, the attitude of prayer. And as an addendum to this passage, we're going to talk about the power of prayer. Let me tell you some of my favorite quotes on prayer. That other one 
uh, was Corey Ten Boom. But, but this one is from Leith Samuel. It says, real prayer is communion with God. It's communing with him. By it, we express our trust in him. Seek to know his mind on the decisions of life. Isn't it better to have his mind than my mind? And you need to think about you, not my mind, okay? It's not about me, it's about... Isn't it better to have his perspective? But sometimes we don't want that, do we? To seek to know his mind, to submit to his will and resist in his name the efforts of the devil to frustrate God's loving purposes in human lives. Another one from C.S. Lewis. What most often interrupts my own prayers is not great distractions, but tiny ones. Squirrel. It takes so little to distract me. I've got a little bit of OCD and ADD in there. Stuff that they give you medicine for now, they just whipped you and put you in a corner when I was a kid. And it takes so little to distract me and to, to, for me to go off in a different direction. And so I have to get really focused in my prayer time. He says, the tiny ones, the things one will have to do or avoid in the course of the next hour. And I'm so glad I can relate to a man of his stature. And then this one by Richard Foster. He said, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. I tell community groups every year. If you really want to learn to love one another in the Lord, if you really want to come together, then pray for one another every single day. Pray for one another in your groups, and you will come together like you would never have imagined. I've held on to this prayer for a long time, this quote for a long time. It's from Barbara Harris. I've got a notebook of, I think, about 70 or 80 pages of quotes and And uh, she says, one of the things that makes God, God, is that he knows everything. So when I have wishes in regard to other people, I just say their names. I let him fill in the rest. I just keep saying the names of the people I love. When you don't know the detail or you don't need to know the detail or, or you can just say their name. God knows. God knows their need. Just lift them up. If God prompts you in your spirit, pray for so-and-so. Stop where you are and pray for them. Lift them up. Oswald Chambers said the meaning of prayer is that we get a hold of God, not the answer. You see, it's that stopping in the middle of a ball game or wherever it is and say, God, I want your perspective. Could you help us if you would? You see, I was getting a hold of God. It's amazing. I still remember that. So long ago. And then P.T. Forsyth said this, the worst sin is prayerlessness. We usually think of murder, adultery, or theft as among the worst, but the root of all sin is self-sufficiency, independence from God. When we fail to wait prayerfully for God's guidance and strength, we are saying with our actions, if not our lips, we don't need him. We don't need you. 
or you might want me to do something different from, I want, from what I want to do, and so I'm not going to seek you in this matter. We need to push through that and want nothing more than the will of God in our lives. So let's look. Verse 1, 1 Timothy. I urge then, let's stop right there. I urge then, he's saying then for a reason. It's almost like therefore, he said something before that's causing him to talk about this. And so let's look back just a little bit and refresh our memories on what he just said. He said in verse 18, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command, not a suggestion. I'm giving you this command. In keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. He knew Timothy's life would be a battle if he kept living for the Lord. It was a battle for Paul. Holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. We have an enemy, Satan. And he'd like nothing better than to shipwreck your faith known so many through the years who've walked away from things that they once stood so strongly for. And you do too. And then Paul mentions a couple. He, he mentions their name, but I don't think he mentions them proudly. I think he's lamenting over them. Listen, he says, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. He kicked them out. The ministry of the church was too precious to be bankrupted by rebellion, and so they were gone. He handed them over. And one of the reasons Paul is writing 1 Timothy is to keep the young church from being shipwrecked. He wanted them to sail strongly. I urge then, first of all, and here's where he mentions prayer. That petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. There are seven words used for prayer in the New Testament. And we have four of them here. The first one is petitions, desis, or supplications, if you have an ESV. It's where we focus on personal need or the needs of others. And then there's the general word for prayer that he uses next, prosuchus. A more general word directed toward God and in reverence and worship. Did you realize that all the songs we sang tonight, the lyrics can be used for prayer? So many songs we sing. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world your hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder, your power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to David. And it's not just hymns like the song written by David. Great are you, Lord. Great is your faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with you. Thou changest not. Your compassions, they fail not. As you have been forever, you will be. That's the kind of prayer he's talking about here. And I encourage you, grab some of your favorite songs that are to God and use them in your times of prayer. Someone somewhere at some time has spent a lot of time working and crafting those words. Use them. Use them. And then there's the next one, intercession, entuxis. Approaching the throne of God with confidence 
as we learned in Hebrews chapter 10, 19. Approaching with confidence, and God gives us that ability. And then there's thanksgiving, where we get our word Eucharist. Philippians 4, 6 said that all of our prayers should be accompanied by thanksgiving. It just doesn't happen one day of year. Now, there's not a lot of difference in these words given here. He's not doing a progressive thing or something like that. I just think he's giving us the breadth of prayer for Timothy. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For all people. If you look back at an older translation, you'll see that the word men is used. And we understood in those older translations that it was men or mankind, people. It included men and women. The New American Standard said that. First of all, I urge that uh, it be made on behalf of all men. But the Greek word is anthropos. And it could be man or woman. It's translated in the newer versions as people. You'll see that in... Uh, the, the newest versions, uh, the CSV, the NIV 2011, when you go to a scripture like uh, Romans 12.1. He says, I urge you, uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And you can see down in the NIV, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. And that's a correct translation. They're just being more accurate in the translations now. And I appreciate that. You should be aware of it because... As we go forward in this book, Paul is going to talk about the roles of men and women. And so where it applies to both, we should understand that. When it applies to one or the other, we should understand that. And we'll see that later in this passage. But to all people, now let's look at the objects of prayer. All people for kings and all those in authority. Nero? Really? Kings and all those in authority, he wants us to pray for Nero, the Ephesians might have said. Here in a couple of years, he's going to cut Paul's head off. He was a cruel emperor. But he said, no, we pray for all those in authority. Why? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And Lord knows our leaders need it, don't they? Democrat, Republican, in my lifetime, every one of them have needed the prayers of the church. They need it now. We need to pray for those who are in authority. For Paul, when he mentions this, he's bound to be thinking of Nero. Do you think he thought that Nero might come to Christ? Was there any possibility in his mind that Nero could come to Christ? Absolutely there was. You know why? Because of what, what you read last week. Because Paul came to Christ. And what kind of sinner did he say he was? The worst. He said, I'm the worst of all the sinners. He used to drag people from their homes. When Stephen was killed, they put their coats at his feet, meaning he gave them permission Paul was a rough dude, but Jesus got a hold of his life. And he said, we need to pray for those authorities because God can change things. The reasons for prayer, verse 3 and 4. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
I'm convinced if, if we spend as much time praying for our leaders as we do complaining about them, if all over America Christian people prayed more than they complained, we would see a difference. I truly believe that. If the church had been doing that for the last 200 years, we would have seen a difference. Someone told Mark Schatzman, he told me about this this week. He's teaching tomorrow morning, and I'm teaching tonight, and I'm teaching tomorrow down in Fayetteville. But he said somebody told him, hey, look, we've got to do more than just pray. Well, let me tell you something. Prayer is your bazooka. It's the biggest instrument of of, of weaponry or war that you've got in spiritual matters. You think, I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to go do this or that. You do that without prayer, you're missing out on your arsenal. Prayer is where we need to start. Paul reminds us that he wants all people to trust. God wants all people to trust Christ as their Savior. Nowhere in the Bible does it say some people. It's all people. Put a circle around that word all right there. And then he gives us a basis for prayer. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. There was a time when there was no mediator. In the time of Job. Job lived during the time of the patriarchs, Abraham and the boys. And you remember Job, he was a righteous man, right? And Satan came to God and said, have you considered Job? Or no, 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 excuse me. God went to Satan, didn't he? He said, have you considered my servant Job? And what happened to Job? He lost everything and he was covered with with sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And by the way, if you tell me the score of the Razorback game, I will pray that you get sores from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet because I've got it all set to watch the second half later on tonight. So don't tell me if you find out or if you've got something in your ear right now and you're listening to the ball game. I don't want to know. Don't tell me I'm going to put my pajamas on and get a bowl of popcorn and I'm going to enjoy the second half. But there was no mediator. And Job's friends came to him and his friend Bildad said to him, it's your fault, Job. It's your fault and it's your children's fault. If you'll just repent and confess to God, everything will be okay. And look what Job said. Such a humble answer. Indeed, I know that this is true. But how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? Though they wished to dispute with him, they could not answer him one time out of a thousand. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He's not a mere mortal like me, that I might answer him, that, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. And you know what? God would do that. In the Levitical priesthood, he, he made a way for them to sacrifice. 
that would foreshadow the sacrifice of Christ. And this Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. And we have a mediator between us and God. He pleads our case before him. So when we pray, listen to me, when we pray, that's why we pray in the name of Jesus. I'm hearing it more and more when people pray, they just say, amen. We don't pray in Jesus' name. We don't say it out loud. Does it count? Sure, it counts. But we need to make a statement that we pray in the name of Jesus. When, when I'm called and someone asks me if I would pray for an event that's going on, and, and they say, and, and if you would, don't say in the name of Jesus because it might offend someone. I say, sorry, you got the wrong person. I'm a Christian. I pray in the name of Jesus. That's who I am. That's who we should all be, people who pray in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. We should. Verse 7, and for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling, I love that he says this. He said, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. A herald is one who comes into town ringing a bell. I've got some news. An apostle is, is one who is sent. And a teacher is one who brings the truth. He paid a heavy price for that. Just before he died, he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy. And look what he said. Bringing up herald, apostle, and teacher again. And of this gospel, I was pointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher that's why I'm suffering as I am. He was in chains in a Roman prison. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced he is able to guard what I've committed to him for that day. Until the very end, I believe. <laughs> he knew there was a price to pay for that. And then the last verse, which you may cover next week as well, but I'll just touch on it. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Paul makes an interesting call to the men of the church in Ephesus. And this is not the word anthropos where it could be men or women. This is the word anir and addressed specifically to men because he wanted the men to lead out in this area. They were to lead. Since the very beginning, men have been given the responsibility to lead in the church and the home. I felt it when I was getting married, standing there in front of the preacher, and my, my father-in-law had just put my wife's hand, uh, put her hand in my hand, and, and my, I mean, my, my knees were literally shaking because I realized I was responsible for her now. I couldn't fall back on him. You know, I, I would do fine with bologna and crackers and beanie weenies and stuff like that, but she expected more. It was my responsibility, not rank. It's not about rank. It's about responsibility. It's not about domination. It's about duty. And there are certain things that in this book that he will call us men to do. It's a quality of personhood, but differentiation of roles. And we need to take it seriously as we study 1 Timothy. And he writes about lifting up holy hands. 
It's a sign of surrender and humility. You don't lift up to hand, hands to God that are dirty, do you? We don't lift up to hands to God that are unholy or unclean. We don't lift up to God hands that are full and we have no need to him. And evidently with the Ephesians, there were petty disputes and things going on. He said, no, no, no. You don't lift up holy hands to God with those petty disputes or when you're angry. You have clean lives. And in the power of prayer, James, I love that James, what he wrote, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James was the one who grew up with God. And he saw the power of prayer. There's something that we need to be praying about. As was mentioned earlier by Nick, uh, Planned Parenthood has now gotten a place in Rogers. They're not performing abortions yet, but they say they will. And this is a burden on my heart. And we, as a church, need to be praying that they never will do abortions in our city. I pray every day that one day we will be a nation that does not abort our babies. And I ask you, make that a part of your time of prayer and believe it can happen. Believe it can happen. Daniel is an example of the power of prayer for us. Daniel 6.10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. This was where he was about to be thrown into the lion's den. And Daniel was faithful in his times of prayer. He was faithful to God. You see that throughout the book of Daniel. But then I want you to see this one in Daniel chapter 9 when we're talking about the power and the effectiveness of prayer. Daniel 9.20, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. You know, he's exiled in Babylon right now. And making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, which is Jerusalem. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Gabriel, the angel, came to him while he was praying. And he instructed me, he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. Listen to this. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out which I have come to tell you. For you are highly esteemed. When Daniel prayed, it echoed in the halls of heaven. And God sent Gabriel to tell him. You say, yeah, but that was Daniel. He was special. Think Daniel's more special than you are? No. No. You're just as special as Daniel. You see, the ground is level around the cross. And God calls all of us to be faithful in prayer as Daniel was. The fall of the Berlin Wall. You heard lots of things about the fall of the Berlin Wall. And you saw the politicians up here. But, but, but Ken Hughes writes about something that we didn't hear reported on. It was May of 1989 in Leipzig in the historic St. Nicholas Church where the Reformation had been introduced exactly 450 years earlier. A small group began to meet in one of the church's rooms to read the Sermon on the Mount and pray for peace. 
And the group expanded and moved to a larger room and finally began to meet in the church's nave, which began to fill up. Alarmed, the communist authorities sent officials to attend. They threatened the gatherers and temporarily jailed some. On prayer nights, they blocked the city's nearest Autobahn off-ramp. And then on October 9th, 1989, some 2,000 individuals crowded in to pray for peace and another 10,000 gathered outside. And soon the Berlin Wall came down. Coincidence, yes? No. This was, the kind, this was the kind response of a caring, all-powerful God to the prayers of his people. There are so many reasons for us to pray, but we need to believe in the power of prayer. And we need to be consistent in our prayers. As Howard Taylor, Hudson Taylor's father, uh, son, wrote, for 40 years, the sun never rose on China that God did not find my father on his knees in prayer. 40 years. Back in 1989, while all this was going on with the Berlin Wall, Robert Kopp was at Oakdale Junior High asking our church to pray that God would do something here at Fellowship. We were trying to raise the money for our first building, and we were about... Uh, halfway there and it just seemed impossible just seemed impossible I remember one of our elders getting up on a stool and, and challenging our body and on the way home I told my wife I said there's no way we can make that there's no way but we did but Robert challenged all of us to spend 1% of our day 1% of our day in the word and prayer just 1% you know how much that is 15 minutes 15 minutes. We can all do that. Spending time with the Lord. Just at least 1%. And watch the difference. There's a QR code on the screen here. And it's a resource. It's, it's my prayer list. Uh, it's... Not got a lot of names on it. I put the names of the elders on it for it. And I also put a link to the world watch list. But, but these are the, the people that I pray for every day. Some of them are, I, don't, I run out of room. And so some of them are just initials, but I know who they are. But it's a document that gives you three columns. It's a Word document on the back. It has space for your personal goals for the year. And then under that, the scripture memorizing. But you can go to this link or go to the resource page on our website and you can find that and you can create your own page and use it every day in your time of prayer. That's what I do. If you make a decision to become a prayer warrior and to leave it all before God, to never be out of that, habit of talking to him. I think when you come to the end of your life, you'll look back on that decision to become a prayer warrior is one of the most important decisions you ever made. It will change your life. So with that, would you bow with me?
just want you to pray. It's like Tom told us earlier. Just take three deep breaths. I always start my prayers by saying, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. Teach me your ways so that I may know you. Continue to find favor with you. And then I quote Augustine. I say to the Lord, you have made me for yourself, O Lord. And my heart will always be restless until it rests in you. And I'll leave it to you for a few moments just to pray. In the quiet, let the Spirit speak to you. Just say their names. He knows the need. Ask him for the impossible. Nothing is too big for God. Nothing. children, your grandchildren, your brother, your sister, mother, your father. Believe in the power of prayer. Ask the Lord to wake you up earlier in the morning. so that you might talk to him to start your day. Before your head hits the pillow at night, you just say, thank you. Thank you for another day. Well, the enemy says we have to go. The clock. But tonight, standing at the front, there will be people waiting to pray with you. There are tables at the back where you can leave requests or praises. But let's leave this place confident that God wants to hear our voices in his ear. Oh, the depth of the riches, the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? 
who has ever given to God that God should repay him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. God bless you, everyone.